As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. You're listening to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. This is Matt. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Christy and Ben. Good day. Good day, Good day. to you, Matt, Tebby, and Christy. It's nice to uh, be with you. Here we are. We're going to intro a podcast. We talked to AJ Swoboda about deconstruction and, and mm. having a faith after doubt. Uh, but um, right now, uh, we are in the midst of one of the most beautiful times of the year where we live. It's gorgeous. It's the most wonderful time. Not that, Christmas. No, 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 not, not that time. Pumpkin <laughs> spice lattes, my <laughs> friends. I'm just Woo-hoo! speaking, I'm just speaking like weather-wise. It's gorgeous. Oh, okay, yeah. Yes, you know? it is beautiful. Got my windows wide open. Mm-hmm. I got a uh, cold, really bad cold that I always get right at the beginning of the fall. So <laughs> kids back to school. Fantastic. And yeah. birthdays. It's oh, birthday yeah. month for us. It's birthday month. Yeah. For Christy and I. We got September birthdays. We do. That's You're, what, what's what makes the day again? I forget. Extra spicy. Uh, September 21st is my That's birthday. That's right. Just a few days before. Mm-hmm. Mine's the 24th. So 24th. All right. Oh. So if you guys want to just mark that down, listeners, mark that down. <laughs> if you want to send us, we'll put we'll put your Venmo, Venmo in the uh, show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Although to, I I just learned this today uh, as well. I think it was actually uh, September 9th. So this is maybe yesterday. We're recording this on the 10th. Oh. Of September. Give away our secrets. Um, I think September 9th is buy a priest a beer day. Is it? Yeah. Come on. For real? So I was going to put How about that, a cannon? I'm a Ven- cannon. <laughs> Venmo in the... Uh, <laughs> can, can, anyway. Um, yeah, we could make a lot of jokes about priests, but... Um, I didn't anyway, know that, So ben. that was another one. I another reason it. to put my Venmo in the uh, show notes. If you, got, if you want to buy me a beer... It's was, my son's birthday today. Oh, cool. Is it? Yeah. He That's turned fun. nine. It's his birthday month, oh. too. Yes. We got lots. Actually, in my family, we have a lot. But um, mm. he was, like, so excited. How's like, his... Like, I wouldn't even... Yeah. How's his mullet? <laughs> oh, actually, this is London. Oh, no. And, not um, Langham. Okay. Different right. child. Not Langham. And, man, you know what? Another time, I'm going to have to tell you about a haircut he got oh. and a big old lesson he learned. It's <laughs> good. 
<laughs> well, let me, just real quick, because now I've already okay. brought it up. Yeah, he, yeah, he, I mean, he lied. He lied. He cut his hair. He lied about it. And like, you guys, I'm not an idiot. There's a chunk of hair missing from him. <laughs> and so finally he told me the truth. And you guys, I don't, I'm sure people are going to be like, that's the worst parenting move ever. But I handed him the pair of scissors and I was like, well, you started it. You got to finish. <laughs> and he cried. Oh, he man. was like, I don't want to be bald. And then he goes, will you buy me a wig? <laughs> I was like, no, I won't buy you a wig, but you better not lie to me about cutting your hair again. So anyway, Christy, uh, he, yeah, that is the most Christy Penley story ever, <laughs> because if you if you had told me that uh, Langham had to cut his mullet off, I would have said it's because he lied about something. And Christy's like, oh, here you go. Nope, th- here that you mullet go. is a privilege. <laughs> his, well, it wasn't it wasn't Langham. It was London and yeah. poor boyfriend. But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was good. You know what? He wrote a a paper in school Mm -hmm. to talk about something he learned recently, and he wrote the whole thing on lying and telling the truth and how every time he looks in the mirror, he remembers how important telling the truth is. So I was like, victory, you know, parenting win. So anyway, that has nothing... uh like uh, I can just imagine him envisioning his future, you know, like little. It's like I'm going to be bald for the rest of my life. Yeah, I know, Mom. Mm. Will you buy me a wig? Poor guy. <laughs> anyway, that has nothing to do with our podcast, but that no, has no, happened no. in it's... the Penley family. So okay, all right. Well, I'm, well. I'm actually using this book uh, for a, a group that I lead on my back porch the every book, Sunday. The book oh, yeah. that AJ wrote. Yeah, that we're talking about today. Yeah, after doubt. And uh, we're talking about deconstruction and and That's asking right. the hard questions and dialoguing about that and I'm really excited. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, this this conversation was great, uh, AJ. Uh, often we don't just talk about exactly what they wrote. We kind of ping off of what they wrote and talk about other things. And he indulged some questions I had to to break into some new area that he didn't write about. Um, but you know, this we we have people like AJ on the podcast, because one of the things that we do in our Gravity Leadership Academy is when people have inherited a, a spirituality or a faith that feels like it no longer works, they often, they often, and what AJ talks about, they often just walk away from the faith. They often, yeah. often just feel like they can't do it anymore. But we created Gravity Leadership Academy as a reconstructive kind of positive vision of what does it look like uh, after you have all these questions, after you see all the ugliness, the, you lift up the carpet, you see all the the nastiness. Like, what do you? How do you recover and reclaim a faith that yeah. is historically rooted, focused on Jesus, and takes love seriously as the strongest power in the universe? And so, I'm pulling together a cohort now. Uh, we have two spots left. Um, and that's what we do for 11 months. We train in how to live and love like Jesus. It's a faith that's worth reconstructing. That's what yeah. we're doing. Absolutely. Yep. There's a link in the show notes if you'd like to join that cohort. Uh, like Matt said, a couple spots left. We're going to start one this month. Uh, yeah. Lord willing, if the creek don't rise. Yep. Do you know when you're doing that, Matt? No. What, what, yeah, what we do is that when, when we get Is it going to be during a day one, though? Probably, probably okay. during the day. That just might help our listeners who, yeah, that would you help. know. Yeah, yeah, that's good. All right. And we, we determine the time and the date and the day of the week uh, after everybody kind of gets in. Right. There's a poll that we take, and usually we can find a time that yes. works for everybody. Yes. So, yeah, consider that. If, uh, if, if you listen to this interview and you think, yeah, I'm, uh, I, could use, I could use a course like that. That's me. Also... Um, if you're not part of our curated list uh, newsletter, e- email newsletter, um, do sign up for that as well, gravityleadership.com slash join. 
You can join our online community and um, get an email from me every Friday. Most of the time, it doesn't have typos. Uh, today's email uh, had, a, had several typos, which really bothered me. <laughs> I'm sure it did. Um, so anyway, oh, that's it bothered me man. because, and you know, it's because yesterday I'm getting into these new rhythms. Uh, I, I started I started a new cohort last month, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it's a Thursday afternoon cohort, and so I'm getting into new rhythms about when I write this email, and I've the last two weeks, guys. I've been uh, mm. pressed for time, mm. and the result is typos in the email. And so I'm, I'm working. You do better than hard. me, though. Hands down, <laughs> even pressed Aww. for time, yeah. a thousand times better than I would. So thanks uh, well, for writing those. Thanks, it's good. Thanks, guys. I uh, I appreciate that. Yes, um, yeah. It's got curated links, basically, to articles that we found helpful in our uh, seeking to navigate mm-hmm. uh, cultural dynamics in the light of. Um, faith in Jesus and leadership in the church and uh, in and in life and so um, yeah it's just uh, links to stuff we found helpful that we pass along to you uh, that we hope you find helpful as well yep and in the latest one there's a little story from uh, one of the cohorts that I lead where we talked about the difference between self-indulgence and self-care like mm. how do you know uh, the difference between those two things yeah and uh, yeah so that's the kind of stuff we get into in gravity leadership Academy so Again, sign up for that new cohort. Matt's leading it. All right, all right. Yes, I am. Matt's one of our Matt's one of our best cohort com- up and coming cohort. I'm coming leaders. along. He was my cohort leader. <laughs> yeah. And your yeah. wife was in it, Ben. Was back she back in the day? Wow, that's back I know, in the it was day. a long that's time incredible. ago. Yeah. So fun. Yes, it was. It's so fun. All in all seriousness, uh Matt, Matt's a great leader of these cohorts. Yeah. And so um <laughs> Yeah. Get it get in on this one, guys. Great. All right, friends, let's get into this interview. Uh, Let's hear uh, what AJ has to say about deconstruction. Yep. Yeah. All right, here we go. AJ Swoboda, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be with you today. Yeah. Dr. Swoboda is Assistant Professor of Bible Theology and World Christianity at Bushnell University. He also runs a doctorate of ministry program at Fuller Seminary. He's written a number of books, including Subversive Sabbath, which is really good, and the book we wanted to chat about today called After Doubt, How to Question Your Faith Without Losing It. AJ, what else do we need to know about you? Well, uh, I um, uh, brew kombucha. Uh, we have 12 chickens, uh, and we got a new refrigerator installed this summer. So big, big, big news at the Swoboda household. <laughs> Do you well, name was- your chickens? Please tell me you name your chickens. Yep, they are all Star Wars-themed chickens. So <laughs> Chewbacca, Princess Leia egg, Um <laughs> Well, there's, 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 we've got a bunch of them. Uh, let me think. Can of I give one. you two suggestions? Like when you get two new yeah, chickens, yeah, because yeah. because we we do chickens and we put them in an incubator and then we hatch them at Easter time. But then yeah. after a month, we give them away. So I never really get to name them. So here are my two naming suggestions. Okay. Are you nope. ready? First one, uh, feather lock layer. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Second one, Oprah Henfrey. 
All right. Well, those are my suggestions. Yeah. All right. Well, lot, you didn't you didn't know you were getting that today, did you, AJ? No, no this is free. this is that's extra free, man. Content. Extra content. So <laughs> the first two things you named about chickens and kombucha, uh, you also if if for the two listeners who haven't pieced this together, you live in Oregon, <laughs> where these things happen, right? Um, yeah, and you're married and you have kids. And uh, AJ and I uh, have known each other for a number of years, but we haven't seen each other in a number of years. It's good to see you again, man. It's good to have you on the good to have you on the podcast. So AJ, you wrote a book on deconstruction, and it's something we've talked about on this podcast a great deal. Yeah, Christy, like we've yeah, we've did a whole series on it. And s- some of the feedback we got from that series was like, why are you guys talking about this? Like, why do you keep talking about this? Um, and my response was, because uh, it's not going away. <laughs> like we, And we still have questions to answer personally, Christy and I, of like, how do we make sense of this faith that we've inherited, you know, once and for all from the saints today in 2021? So I guess my question for you, AJ, is... Uh, what what was it? What what propelled you to make a unique con, uh, contribution to this conversation? Why did you think I need to write? A, I need to write on this. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I say at the very beginning of the book, in uh, kind of an arrogant, uh, in an arrogant way, that I'm disproportionately qualified to write on this topic. Um, I can't say that about every topic. I don't think that I have authority to write in every topic, but in this particular one. My 10 years of being a college pastor and 10 years of being a church, founding a church in inner city Portland, um, thousands of uh, coffee appointments, thousands of dollars spent on coffee appointments, and many, many Kleenex boxes later Mm. uh, have had this, this experience of walking with hundreds of people through this experience that you call uh, deconstruction. And on the same level, being sort of surprised that these experiences of deconstruction are often very similar, almost the same. Um, I've jokingly uh, said there must be some Google Doc out there that everybody's reading because the the shared <laughs> Google Doc, because this deconstruction experience seems to actually have some similar touch points along mm-hmm. the way for a lot of people. Um, frustration at the church, wondering if the Bible is true. Um, anger at the church environments we were raised in, emotional stuff. Um, it's a very similar patterns. So I wrote it because um, I've been in the room for, for long enough to be able to see what the journey is like and how to come out the other side and love Jesus more than before. It. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about this a bit in your book. I'm curious if um, to what degree this book is, here's some of the gold I've been able to mine out on my own journey as I've had to uh, refashion and reform my faith through storms or through desert seasons or through darkness. Uh, To what degree is this book maybe um, you bringing um, new things out of the storehouse for yourself? Yeah, this is a, this, this book, um, to, to me, um, it, it, of all the things I've written, this one is more forged by fire than any other book I've ever written. Um, and, and when I say that, um, as I reread the book, and I don't generally reread my own books, 
but but as I as I go through the pages and I come across stories in the in the book, there are people people that are connected to those stories, and a lot of those those things are fresh and and real and still are people that I'm walking with uh, to this to this to this day. I think one I I think one of the reasons that I wrote this and and to your words what is what is new um, is is that there, I, I've observed there really are two kinds of deconstruction that we're talking about. On one hand, there is this side of deconstruction of the person who is saying, I love God with all my heart, and I will leave anything to follow God because I love Jesus, I love God. And I was handed some really cruddy ideas about God from the people that taught me about the faith. And those ideas do not reflect Jesus, they don't reflect the Bible, and I'm going to be done with those ideas. That's one side of deconstruction. We actually have another word for that. It's called repentance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's that side. Yeah. But there is another side to deconstruction that is, is not somebody's honest pursuit of following Jesus. What really is going on is people undoing their faith because secretly, kind of behind the closed doors of their hearts, they want to sleep with who they want to sleep with. They want to do what they want to do. They want to smoke what they want to smoke. They want to do their own thing. And that side of deconstruction is so fundamentally different than the person who's saying, I want to love God and I'll leave anything to follow him versus the person who's going to say, I'm going to leave God to get to do what I want to do. Yeah. And I, I think what's new, you ask what, you know, what, what maybe does this contribute is an attempt at discerning the difference between those two. Because hmm. there yeah. is a radical difference between, um, between, between the two. Yeah. Yeah, it struck me as I read it. I I think I wonder where. Uh, let me offer maybe I don't know if it strikes me. It could be a third category, but how sure. this fits into that sort of schema. The person who's um, a pastor's kid, whose um, dad pastors a church and everybody loves him, but at home he beats her. Yeah. A person who is um, in a youth group and um, it loves Jesus, loves God, and the youth pastor grooms him yes. and. Uh, exploits him sexually. Uh, the person who is um, maybe a new Christian and maybe even an organ and joins a church in the early 2000s with a really confident preacher, and um, now they're listening to a podcast from Christianity Today about how awful that preacher's ministry was, and they they feel like they got a lot out of that, but um, but now it's starting to come online. Oh, hey, there, maybe there's some abuse happening, and I haven't processed it, and can I trust any Christians? So, we've got uh, this is, these are the stories I hear over and over of people who do love God, but Christians hurt them. Yes. How, how does that fit into the, into, in your mind, how do, how do we hold that with those other two categories? And yep. what do we do with that? Yeah, so if, if I had, and I suspect um, that you would have the same approach, if you, if you had a, a woman in your church come to you and say, my husband at home is abusing me. Um, my hunch would tell me that you would not tell that woman to go back home. You, my hunch tells me that you would say, um, right now you are unsafe and we need to keep you away from a toxic environment. Yeah. Um, if we're going to have a conversation with people that have been deeply wounded by the church, and I suspect there are people in this conversation who bear the scars on their soul from deep wounds for us to sit here and just say, the easy solution is just to go back to church to that church or whatever could easily just be telling 
the, the beat wife, beat wife, just go home. Yeah. And that, that is not the solution. Yeah. Uh, that is not the solution at all. Um, but at the same time, just because the church has hurt us at one place does not mean the same as we're done with the church. Because the truth of the matter is, um, every single system has its toxicity. Every single, every single thing in the world has its brokenness. Every single thing. But if we live our life in such a way where every time we've been hurt by something that is deeply meaningful and valuable and good and we just walk away from it, that's a, you can't build a life on that. I mean, I've been married for 18 years. And thank God my wife hasn't had that approach towards me because I keep botching it. And she yeah. keeps loving me yeah. and giving me space. And I do the same for her. She's messed up too. Um, and there's grace for me to come back to this relationship and, and seek to make it right. Um, so I think what I'm trying to say is for those who have been deeply wounded by the church, those wounds must be grieved and worked through in the right environments, counseling, spiritual direction, deep and trusting friendship. And is there hope for resurrection? Yeah. Yeah. What strikes oh, me. Can I, can I just, can I just make a biblical comment? I Do it. wondered why in the parable of the prodigal son, why does the younger son run away? Cause I, I know for sure the younger son does not run away because of the father. You, the father's awesome. I mean, he's the kind of guy who like gives money away, inheritance. He's like, have it all, man. Let's throw parties for it. He's an awesome guy. Why does he run away? I had this epiphany that he ran away. The younger son ran away because of the older brother. And when you look at the story of the older brother, you can tell this is not the kind of guy you want to live with. No. I think there is a generation of younger sons that are running away, not because of the father, but because the older brother is a real punk. And a lot of Christians that are, are leaving the house because they've seen how freaking frustrating the older brother can be. And I yeah. want to say, why does the older brother get to keep the house to himself? We need yeah. the younger sons to come home and the younger daughters to come home because the wounds from the older brother shouldn't be the end of the story. Yeah. Yeah. AJ, I'm interested to hear, it feels as though in this realm, the church is putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. Yes. And so help, help us, help, help our listeners. What do we, how do we move forward? Yeah. <clears throat> well, at times when I don't have answers myself, it's, always good to go to people like C.S. Lewis or Eugene Peterson because they always seem to know what to do. Um, there's this section in uh, one of Peterson's books where he describes um, this uh, medical phenomenon uh, of uh, what, what are called iatrogenic diseases. So an iatrogenic disease in the medical community is a disease that you get when you go to the hospital to get healthy for something. So it's a disease that you get at the hospital, <laughs> which is, a, isn't that interesting? I mean, by the way, that's very, for many of us, our livelihood right now. I mean, nurses mm -hmm. who are like, they're not getting the disease at home. They're getting it at the workplace, at the yes. hospital where you're supposed to go to get healthy. Yeah. So 
here's the problem. I met Jesus at 16 years old and started going to an evangelical church where I was nurtured in my young faith. And I look back over those years and I am so grateful for those years. Mm-hmm. But years later, I figured out that evangelical community that I was a part of had some really gross and non-biblical understandings of women. Mm-hmm. And that, that took a lot of work. How do you you simultaneously recognize that the same hospital that gave you the good news of Jesus is the same one that gave you a disease? And the process of walking through getting healing from the disease that you got at the church is not always a work of healing that can be done in the church. Sometimes that has to be done outside the church. Yeah. And... That required really hard things like spiritual direction and, and counseling. and um, but, but just because the hospital sometimes gives you a disease doesn't mean we get up, give up medicine. Hmm. The church has botched it. But that doesn't mean we give up on the church. Yeah, I think it's really important, AJ, for me to hear you say, and I, I wonder how many listeners too, Often, the doctors at the hospital, when we go back and we say, hey, we got this disease here, they say, no, you didn't. That's not a disease. That's actually something you wanted. That's something good. Or you didn't get that here. Or that's your own fault because you laid in the bed too long or or whatever, right? So it's really good for me to hear you just say, sometimes those of us who are running the hospital, sometimes, sometimes... uh, there are diseases that that we give yes. or that we allow. Yes. There, there is nothing more powerful in the Christian witness. There is nothing more powerful than the leaders of the church who are willing to recognize the ways they have botched it to those whom they botched it in front of. Yeah. That, that, the, the, I mean, when you have to, to describe Matt, your point, when we have leaders who deny or gaslight the harm they've done, that pushes people even further away. Yeah. But when leaders are willing to recognize, own, and even repent of their ways, that becomes a whole new witness. I'm struck, by the way, that in the New Testament, All of our heroes, I mean, you look at Peter, for example. Peter denies Jesus three times before preaching at Pentecost. And when you read Mark's gospel, Mark was not, Mark was written as Peter's account. It's Peter's memoir. And Mark is writing down Peter's story. And there is no gospel of the four that is more honest about Peter's denial than Mark. Let me draw the lines here. Peter preached the gospel through the narrative of his own failure. And when a leader in the church is humble enough to say, I screwed up, there's healing in that. Yeah. Case in point, I mean, if, if, and, and it's weird to be on a podcast and recommend another podcast, but of course, if, if anybody's not listening, <laughs> Uh, to the rise and fall of Marcel, we see what happens 
in communities where gaslighting, othering, not listening, unwillingness to apologize, we have seen how that works out. And by the way, being in the Pacific Northwest, um, there is a whole community of people here who are spiritually traumatized and wounded, still walking the streets from that community, wondering what what in the world do I do with what happened when I was there? So it's like we need a new generation of leaders who are humble people. Imagine that. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. I'm also noticing too, we've talked about this in the podcast, like um, 10 years ago, the only people I knew who were traumatized were combat veterans. And and now I and now you just use the word like spiritually traumatized, and I actually don't think that's exaggeration or hyperbole. No, I, th- I think there. I know there are people who who have uh, diagnosable PTSD, yeah. and other other conditions from these kinds of you know abusive, exploitative, harmful environments. And so one of the things I've noticed is I I don't know how to pastor or be a friend. <laughs> without knowing how to notice and navigate trauma. And, and that's something I wasn't, I'm, I mastered divinity, AJ. I mean, I mastered that. <laughs> but they did not teach me how to navigate and notice trauma. And it feels like a, a competency that I'm catching up on. Yeah, there was a book written a number of years ago called uh, The Vulnerable God, Narratives of the Vulnerable God, uh, of a Vulnerable God. Uh, the, the premise of the book was um, that in the in the ancient world, you don't have any other, um, you don't have any other narrative, story, religion, ideology. You don't have any other religion that claims that God was subjected to abuse and trauma. I mean, basically it's the premise of the book. Um, That's a very compelling reason to be a Christian because the God that we follow, the Jesus of Nazareth is trauma informed. He knows how to see trauma. He's, he's adept at seeing trauma where, where, where trauma is. So how do you lead somebody that has been traumatized? Mm -hmm. You know, how do you, become a little picture of Jesus for the person who's walked through that. Um, so I've learned, I, I call, so a number of years ago, uh, and I write this in the book, a young woman told me her story. Um, she had been raised in the church. Uh, she, a, a great Christian home, but the, her family, there were no boundaries. And so she describes as a child, the, the, the reason, the way she knew there were no boundaries is her mom would never knock on the door. 
when she came into our room. Her mom would just bust into the room. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were no boundaries. And she was handed the gospel, but no boundaries. And of course, she goes to college. She deconstructs her whole faith. And then after college, she gets married, has a kid. And all of a sudden, after you have a kid, you need God again, because uh, that's what kids do to you. Um, and she starts going back to church. And she sits, she starts, she decides she starts reading the Bible again. And she comes to Revelation. Um, and she comes across that line where Jesus is speaking to one of the churches in the book of Revelation. And he stands and he says, I stand at the door and I knock. So she has this epiphany that Jesus has really good boundaries. <laughs> her parents didn't, but Jesus does. And she that becomes her journey back to faith, is recognizing Jesus is really good at honoring boundaries. He does not bust in. So how do I lead somebody who's been traumatized? I need to practice what Jesus practices, which is, um, I call, I call I, you could call it a lot of things, but I call it spiritual consent. And spiritual consent is this. I only enter when I'm invited in. So when I'm sitting with somebody in my office and my, I'm sitting, I'm in my office here. When I have somebody who comes in for office hours, my little confession booth, my office hours, when somebody comes in and says, listen, I was raised in the church and uh, there, there was deep pain and suffering and hard stuff. Um, When they are done sharing that, Rather than going into full-on apologetics mode, why they need to go back to church, and da, 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 before I do anything else, they have poured their soul out to me. There are tears coming down their face. The most important thing I can say to them at that moment is this. Thank you for sharing me, sharing with me the gift of your story. How are you inviting me to respond? And that simple line, how are you inviting me to respond? is them now having permission to invite me in where they want me to go. If I don't do that and I just bust in, I can continue to just exacerbate that trauma and that hurt unless I'm invited in. And I will tell you that when I say that line, how are you inviting me to come in? And they say, well, will you help me think through it? All of a sudden, I actually been invited in and I have a whole new level of authority and space to speak. But if I'm not invited in and they just need to be listened to, then I need to shut up and listen. Virtual consent. And in a world where everything is about consent, if we don't apply that to our pastoral work and our leadership, boy, oh boy, oh boy, we're not getting our cultural moment. Absolutely. As you are telling that story, I found myself holding my breath. What's he going to say? And then you said that, and I'm like, I'm stealing it. Totally stealing it. I'm going to use it from now on because you're right. It's so important to just ask, to not assume, to not be little as savior to whoever comes into our offices, um, to listen well and to ask for consent. So good. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we, I guess we could learn this from Oprah, Uh, Oprah Henfrey. Henfrey. Uh, We could learn this from Oprah, but we actually do learn it from Jesus. You're right, AJ. Yeah. Jesus is so ruthless about, about getting consent from people that he will let them go away sad or he will let them he 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 turns he is ruthless about helping people own what they want and There's then, a, yep. yeah and then not and then not wanting on them well you shouldn't want that you should want this there's a little book by conrad gempf called jesus asked question mark uh, he's a uh I teach some classes at London School of Theology, and he teaches there's a New Testament guy. And he says, 
uh, in his book, count the number of times where Jesus asks people questions. The, the majority of questions in the Bible are not people asking God questions. They're Jesus asking people questions. The yeah. number one thing Jesus, he's always, Jesus is always saying, what do you want? What do you want? <laughs> what do you want? He's, he's practicing. I think this principle, he, yeah. he's gauging whether people want to engage in a conversation or not. And I think there are a ton of stories that didn't make it into the new Testament. I'm arguing from silence here, but where Jesus says, what do you want? And the person says, nothing, get out of my face. And it just didn't make it into the new Testament. So I, I think Jesus modeled this. He stands at the door and he knocks. He doesn't bust the door down. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons I like to read what you write is because there's a uh, there's a lot of cultural commentators, I think, who do a really good job of understanding culture. And there's a lot of great Bible teachers who do a really good job of seeing the scriptures uh, for us and then helping us see it alongside them. And I, and I don't know, AJ, if this is something that comes naturally or if you work hard at this or if you made a deal with the devil, but you do a great job <laughs> of doing both. Uh, and in this book... Uh, in this book, you there's some like serious Bible teaching in here, man, hmm. um, and some really keen insights into stories that I hadn't seen before. One of the things you state, and I, I wonder if you just talk about it a bit, um, is that, and I may be, if I'm mischaracterizing this, please correct me, but something like deconstruction actually happens in Scripture. Mm. Like it's actually, it's actually something that's biblical. Can you unpack that in a way? Yeah. Uh, um, by the way, any uh, Len Sweet uh, says the only thing original about me is my sin, um, and the or the only thing, yeah, the only thing original about me is my is my sin. His point being, anything he's got isn't isn't his, and I'm I'm drawing, I'm standing on big shoulders. So whoever I'm. Whoever I'm, whatever I'm saying, I, I can guarantee you, um, I heard and learned from um, somebody greater than myself. But uh, yeah, I mean, the truth is, uh, the entire biblical story uh, is it's weaved with uh, thrown through with people who find out God is not who they thought He was. Uh, I think, for example, the story of Isaiah. Um, Isaiah goes into the he has this vision, uh, and he goes into in this vision he goes to the temple. Uh, and he sees God in God's glory and, and the angels singing uh, about the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy. Uh, th this line, by the way, is the only time in scripture that one of the attributes of God is sung. And it's, and it's in both cases in the Re book of Revelation and Isaiah, it is holy, holy, holy. Um, and Isaiah, his first response of seeing God uh, in in this moment is his response is, oy vey, woe is me. Who am I? I'm a man of unclean lips. Essentially, I'll, I'll, boil, I'll sort of boil down what's happening there. He's saying, wow, God, you are not what I thought you were. You, 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 this is not what I anticipated <laughs> from you. Um, you see it in Isaiah. Uh, you see it in um, the whole book of Job is the story of deconstruction of a guy who had to completely undo his friend's horrible theology of who God was. Um, you see it in the life of Jesus. You've heard it said, now I say to you. I mean, he, he is inherently undoing bad interpretations of the Bible. He's not undoing the Bible. He's undoing bad interpretations of the Bible. Um, this is through and through in Scripture a main, it is a core theme. 
of undoing crud that does not reflect God. And as a Protestant, this is a part of my tradition. If you're, if you follow, if you're a part of the Protestant tradition at all, if you follow the legacy of Luther, you are a part of a movement that was an attempted deconstruction, deconstructing aspects of the Catholic uh, uh, magisterium and tradition. So I think what's important about this is there is a holy side to undoing bad ideas. And why that's important is a lot of people are rejecting Christianity, not because of Christianity, but because of bad ideas about Christianity. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and again, this is a, an illustration that I often think of. I've, I've told you about my kombucha and my chickens, but I should tell you about my tomatoes too, because we, my wife and I grow these incredible tomatoes at our home. And we always, I mean, these Oregon tomatoes, man, in the summer, we always have, you know, people over for dinner and we will always have somebody come over for dinner who doesn't like tomatoes. And they'll say, well, I don't eat tomatoes, but I'll serve them the tomatoes. And they'll say, oh my gosh, these are incredible. And, and, and you begin to realize when you serve enough tomatoes, Oregon tomatoes, people don't hate tomatoes. They hate fake tomatoes. And they've spent their life thinking fake tomatoes are real tomatoes. That, that's, you haven't been rejecting tomatoes. You've been rejecting GMO fake tomatoes your entire life. And now you've tasted the real thing. And then all of a sudden you love tomatoes. Why deconstruction can be so important is it helps us distinguish the difference between true Jesus Christianity and our baloney ideal, ideological versions of Christianity that have nothing to do with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's the problem. That's the problem, though, man. That's like— all, all, like, He's God. It, yes. My, I grew up eating Brussels sprouts that were boiled in water for 40 minutes. This is personal. It was yes. the, this. Now we're talking about my life here, and I have some things to get off my chest. <laughs> I remember the first time I was at a restaurant uh, as an adult, and Brussels sprouts were on the menu, and I complete just trussed them out, and I asked the waiter, what should I get here as a side for this meal? And she said, the Brussels sprouts are amazing. And I said, you are lying. Yes. <laughs> There's no way they can be amazing. And she said, trust me. And I said, well, I hate them. And she said, if you don't like them, I will... Uh, bring you whatever you want to place them. So she, they brought out this wonderful olive oil, like sauteed with seasoned. They were like crispy on the outside and, and like, uh, I don't know if al dente is the right word to use, like firmly inside. They were amazing. I called my dad. I said, what, what, what? This is a high crime, what you did to these Brussels sprouts when I was a kid. <laughs> but you're right. The problem is not everyone gets a waitress. Not Thank everyone gets you. the table at the Swoboda house. Yes. Right? Thank you for sharing a part of your story. How are you inviting me to respond to that? I need you to gang up with me on my dad. No. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, uh, I mean, I'm actually really thankful that I met this waitress. Yes. And how she, uh, in, a, in a very uh, kind but firm way, uh, re-evangelized me. Yes. To to taste and see that Brussels sprouts are good. Yes. Right. And, and I I guess um, the the second half of your book, AJ, you do some of this too, because instead of just sort of uh, maybe naming, here's all the things you have to deconstruct, um, and and then telling people like, um, here's 
here's like six steps. You give us some practices. You've already mentioned one of them, practicing being wrong, um, uh, which we talk about a lot at Gravity. We say things like, the best thing that could happen to me today is that um, I would be wrong and someone would would tell me. Um, because the worst thing that happened is I'm wrong and nobody would tell me. You know, mm. um, what as you as you structure that section, maybe um, maybe take one or two of them. What what have been most fundamental for you to be to be say tethered to Jesus as certain things unravel, but unto the telos of of restoration and redemption. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I to. Two immediate um, practices uh, for me, you know, we could talk about all nine of the practices or whatnot, but I mean, two kind of core heartbeats that I would, I would bring to the surface. Uh, One would be, um, and and I want to, I want to be cautious here again, knowing that there, there are deep wounds and and trauma involved, but um, it is very important that we embrace a local community of people who are following Jesus in the same zip code. So why can I say that? Um, this is my way of saying, we. I think, I may sound like a fundamentalist here, but I think we need the church pretty bad. Um, I think just about every pastor in the Protestant tradition has experienced that since uh, since the pandemic and we were able to kind of come back to church, something has changed and the people have come back. What, what has changed? In, in my listening to pastors who are describing what's happening with people coming back is they talk about people have come back and they're almost radicalized. They don't have the ability to listen anymore. They're, they're impatient. They need the church to do this or that. And I think what has happened is that over the last year, so the, in, in China right now, there's this thing you've likely heard of called, so the, the Uyghur Muslims are all being, essentially there's, there's these concentration camps, essentially They're, the Chinese government is taking these Muslims out in the middle of nowhere, these, these re-education camps, they call them. And what do they do in a re-education camp? They take people out, they separate them from the people they know, and they literally just have them watch videos all day long to re-educate them. And I think about the last year of our life. That is literally what we've been doing for the last year. We have been re-educated. We have been ripped away from the people on the ground and spent the last year on Twitter and YouTube. And we have come back and we are essentially re-educated. And I, I think something is lost when we are not together in a room. There's something lost. And we need to reappropriate ourselves into a body of people where we can look, see, and smell one another in the same space. Um, so I think being in the church is really important because without it, we become radicalized by a whole system that is very powerful. And I think the second thing is we need to be very mindful to surround ourselves with voices that are not propping up. Well, we are all really good at thinking our Facebook timelines represent what is really going on in the world. And when we spend our time uh, looking at that timeline, we tend to think that 
we have arrived, we're there, we, we are the most you know, pinnacle group of people. We, we tend to think that <clears throat> because we are right now, we must be right. And um, there's a real big problem with that because when you go to global Christianity where people are not white, when you go to historic Christianity where people are dead, when you go outside of our timelines, um, those voices have a very prophetically different voice of what Christianity is than the ones we're getting on our timeline. I think what I'm trying to say is listen to fewer podcasts and read more <laughs> dead Christians and more Christians that look differently than you do. Yeah. Because just because you are right now does not mean you are right. Yeah. There is no wonder we're all wondering if we should deconstruct Christianity. We spend our lives with podcasts in our ears and think, Everything that's happening now is eternal truth. <laughs> it's just yeah. not. We need to get out of ourselves. We need to reject chronological snobbery, which is C.S. Lewis's word for our arrogance that we're in the 21st century. We've somehow arrived. Yeah, what I hear you saying is is we we need we need a, um, a the corporate aspect of our humanity to help yes. shape help shape and discern discernment is one of your practices shape and discern our experiences and we also need the wide swath of human experience and existence rather than this narrow focused uh very punctiliar moment that seems like it's contains all the truth that we could ever that ever was you know is right here and so I, i hear you both saying like uh open yourself up in ways that create better, deeper, more perspective so that you're, and I I get the picture of like, like one of those sailboats that um, has that, I don't even know what it's called, but it has like that, that rod that sticks off the side of it. And then it has like a a steadying kind of Mm. um, pontoon on the right and a steadying pontoon on the left so that the wind, when it hits it, it's, it's actually leaning on something that's, that keeps it from capsizing. And I hear you saying on the right, be the church and on the left, be uh, the, 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 the faith once and for all delivered to the saints that we are in the tradition of. Yes. Yeah. If you don't have that, um, if you don't have, and again, I'm man, sound like a fundamentalist here, but if you don't have the history of the church in, in your purview as a Christian, you are damned to have to just follow what the crowd is doing today. And that is a very, very difficult way to live your life. We have, I think they're called Moors, aren't they? I don't know. I've never yeah. But you've got to have something that gives some history to your faith because this isn't your gospel. This isn't your faith. You were handed the faith. It's not yours. I mean, we say we, say we want our kids to have have their own faith, but I think what we... Unfortunately, what comes across is we want them to have their own faith. Well, I don't want them to have their own faith. I want them to have the faith in their way, Mm -hmm. right? I want them to have the faith that's been handed on for thousands of years, but I want them to follow Jesus themselves, but the faith. We don't get to man alive. We, We have been handed something that the apostles literally died to hand on to us. And to just say, I'm going to do it my way, that's a pretty non-historical understanding of the Christian faith. Yeah. AJ, thanks for spending time with us today. Thank you for this book. 
Um, I think that even the title provokes hope for people because for many of us, we've been told or even experienced that there, that I don't, uh, what's after doubt is, uh, is death. And, uh, this book is, I think a handhold to help people walk through doubt into resurrection. And so thanks for the work you've done. Uh, thanks for those 10,000 hours and however many dollars you spent on Seattle coffee, who knows? Um, but thank you for that. Thank you for that work. It's bearing fruit in our lives. Yeah, thank, um, you. thank you. You know, our church is um, most likely going to do a series called the gospel according to the deconstructionist group can't talk. <laughs> um, and we always recommend here are books that we want you to read for our preaching team yes. to read before we preach. And we yep. kind of lay out, here's the, here are the topics here. Here's what, and that your book is going to be one of them. So mm-hmm. thank you. Um, I think it's gonna be really helpful um, in helping people kind of be able to, to really have those two anchors, but more, I mean, there's nine, but you know, postures and practices that can really help. AJ, how, how can people connect with you online or uh, where can they find you? Yeah, anywhere. AJSwobodaWrites.com, uh, AJSwobodaWrites, W-R-I-T-E-S.com, and then Twitter, Facebook, all the other demonic places that people <laughs> Yeah, right? At least, at, yeah, at least the first level of hell. Um, thank you so much for being with us today, man. It's great to see you again. Good to see your yeah. face. Uh, bless you. Me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me talk about this. And, uh, yeah. Awesome. Love it. Yep. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the gravity leadership podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.